I had a, a crazy thing that happened to me last night. I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I didn't, didn't know that this was going to happen. But one of my, one of my best friends, um, Ryan Siller, is actually on our support team and supports us uh, so that we can be here, so I can do this full time. And his dad right now is dying of cancer. Um, his dad's name is Randy. And um, I get a call last night, and he said, hey, my dad wants to talk to you. And I was like, oh, gosh. I, you know, I'll do weddings all day long. I did one this past weekend as a minister all day long. Funerals, bedside when someone is about to pass, those are tough. You know, even if someone is a very strong Christian, it's just really, really hard because there's so much emotion. And I walk into the room and the guy is talking to me about his doubts, okay? And he's just one of those people. How many of you are one of those people, like you're sitting in church as a kid and, uh, Preacher's up front preaching, you're thinking, I don't know if that's true. How many of you are that person? Now, some of us are just like, hey, he's smart, you know, he's cool, or he's older, or whatever. He must know what he's talking about. She must know what she's talking about. So, that must be true. And that's how some of us are. And then there's the rest of us that are like, I don't know about that. And if you're that kind of person that is just kind of a questioner, and maybe not even negative, maybe it's just, and this is how this guy is, and he really would rub people the wrong way. Because they would think, oh, Randy's become a heretic, you know. And I was assuring him that day, I said, hey, man, you are in good company. Because if you go to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, you see uh, that Thomas is the one that, that kind of pre precedes the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He goes, we don't know the way. We're, we don't know where you're going, right? How can we know the way? And then Jesus, of course, says the most famous verse one of the most famous verses in the entire New Testament, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So it took a doubting man to have something truly uh, amazing happen. So Riley, how would you come up, and we're going to, she's going to read again for us tonight. Got your mic right here. Um, we're going we're gonna to open up with uh, uh, a passage. Um, if you've got a Bible app or a Bible of any kind, um, open up by like looking at a passage um, from the Gospels, and uh, this is Jesus, of course, Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, you got that one, Riley, for us? Okay, so if you got a Bible, Bible app, Mark 9, 14 through 29, that's kind of how we're going to open up tonight, what we're going to do tonight, this is you're like, wait, we sing first, right? No, not tonight, not tonight. We're going we're gonna to just talk a little bit about our passage tonight from 2 Samuel 6, and then we're going to sing a couple of songs, then we're going to kind of introduce what we're going to be doing later with the, the uh, offering up uh, baptism uh, to those of you uh, who've been thinking and praying about that, and um, we're just going to have a fun time. So go ahead and read this for us, Riley. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 19, or 14 through 29. He is possessed with an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they could not do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, and when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out and said, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit, that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the body into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? 
Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. Mm. How many of you felt like that father? You know, I do believe, you know. I do believe, but help my unbelief. And I think that's where a lot of us are many times, aren't we? I do believe, take whatever I've got, help my unbelief. And so when you look at that piece of paper that Emily did, you think of those three, three there's three words. And I, this is the only thing I want you to remember tonight, dance, doubt, dance. This is kind of a cycle that we go through in life. And we wish that it would only happen one time through, but it actually happens thousands of times through where God will cause us to have moments of sheer joy, jubilation, everything is going great, and then, boom, you know, then the bottom falls out. You're thinking, God, what is this, you know? And then we get angry at God. Uh, then we distance ourselves from God. And then God doesn't leave us there. He'll bring us right back. Dance, doubt, dance. So let's, let's read our, uh, our first passage from 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let's just read verses 1 through 5. You've got 2 Samuel, you've got a Bible, a Bible app. Uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, 2 Samuel 6. Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 30, in all. He led them to Judah and bring back to the Ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord's heaven's armies, who was enthroned between the cherubim? Cherubim? I'm sorry. Cherubim? Sorry. They placed the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it to Abinab. I'm so sorry. Abinab's house, which is on a hill. Uz if you don't know the word, you say my homeboy. <laughs> my homeboy and my homeboy, homeboy's sons, was guiding the cart that carried the Ark of God. My homeboy walked in front of the ark, and David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. All right, thank you. It's perfect. Okay, so this is a crazy picture. Uh, of course, the Ark of the Covenant, if you don't know much about the Ark of the Covenant, it, um, it contained three things, okay? It contained the Ten Commandments, second edition. First edition was smashed, by Moses when he came down and saw them worshiping the old golden calf. Uh, another thing, it had like a jar of the manna that they ate for 40 years. And then it had uh, Aaron's rod, uh, his staff that had budded, and it was a miracle. And those three things were in it. And the Ark of the Covenant itself, like, symbolized the very presence of God. And Israel had drifted so far away from God, and Saul was just losing his mind, Right? And he had drifted from God that the ark was at a place on the border of where Saul was from and Judah, uh, which is where Saul, uh, David was going to move the central worship of Israel into Jerusalem. So they have 30,000 chosen men. This is a crowd. You know, Banker's Live Fieldhouse seats 20,000 people. So think about a Pacer game and then add 10,000. Think about I-U-P-U-I. Everybody. You know, all 30,000 of you. Uh, this is how many people were with David as they're going to get the ark. And they do a few things to repair. They have a new cart, okay? They have priests. They're going to carry the cart, or, or going to, like, pull this cart, and they're going to kind of watch out for it, okay? Everything's looking good. I mean, they're dancing. Uh, they, they, not only do they have songs, they've got... One, two, three, four, five different sets of instruments that they're playing. They're making a lot of noise. They're having a great time. They're singing. They're praising God. Everything is going just fine. And when we, uh, this is when we feel close to God, when you dance, okay? How many of you cannot dance? Oh, come on. I can't either. My wedding video is proof of that. <laughs> I wish that that thing would die, but it just keeps recirculating. Uh, but many of you, um, we've been there where everything is going great. You make a good grade on the test. Uh, your dating relationship is going wonderfully. If someone really came up to you and said, hey, Jacob, how are you doing? I'm great. You know, and you would actually mean it. And many of us have been there where it seems as though, okay, when is this going to stop being awesome? You know? And I think in, sometimes in our immaturity we think, 
uh, well, I, I, got, I got life figured out. Things are great. I'm kind of doing this without God. I think I can do this without God. I can, just, I can do it my own way. You know, I know God says to do things this way, but I think I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to get a new cart. I think I was bringing for, for a new cart. I'm going to get some priests. You know, I'm going to get some, I'm going to get five sets of instruments, and we're going to make a lot of noise with my very own songs. We're going to do this thing right. We're going to get the Ark of the Covenant back into the land of Judah where it belongs. Danger zone, right? Let's keep reading. Uh, Riley, 2 Samuel 6, 6 through 11. This is when it gets crazy. But when they arrived at the thrashing floor of Nekon, the ox stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and studied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there because of the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. His name, he named that place Perez Uzzah, which means burst out against Uzzah, and as it is called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Ebedim of Gaiath, and the ark of the Lord remained there in Ebedim's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obadiah in his entire house. Okay. How many of you are reading this in your devotional time, and they tell you at church to read your Bible, and then you open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and you're like, What? supposed to get out of this i'm just thinking jesus loves me and all of a sudden this poor guy reaches out and touches the ark of the covenant and he's just like struck dead i mean it seems crazy i mean when you read this at first glance it seems like our god of the old testament is different from the god of the new testament this is one of those passages but actually he's the same god and uh, this is when we feel far from god and his ways and what he does confuses us. How many of you ever felt that way about God? That the things that he does and the way that he moves confuses you. We've all felt that way, haven't we? Um, give you an example. Uh, my mother-in-law, when she was diagnosed with cancer, and many of you were in my life group when that happened. I had to bring the news to my life group, and our life group was going so well. I mean, we had like 17 students coming, and like kind of like Ryan's group now. But at 8 a.m. on Tuesday morning, I mean, it was a miracle. Manna fell. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we were just having a great time. God was doing great things. He was answering our prayers. And then all of a sudden, get the diagnosis. Actually got the diagnosis when I was first looking through West Park Christian Church and first walked through this house in 2015, the campus house over here. I'm dancing, I'm having a good time, God's moving, and then my wife's just crying, calling me when I'm driving home, that her, her mom had ovarian cancer, 18% chance of surviving. You want to talk about some doubting, you want to talk about some screaming, you want to talk about some, on the, the living room, on our knees, just crying out to God, you know, weeping, I mean, it was, it was crazy, our house was crazy for six months, all the chemo, all the doctor's visits. I mean, I'm exhausted just talking. Then the, the surgery where they, they tried to remove as much of the cancer as they could, and she almost she hemorrhaged and almost died at St. Vincent's on 86th Street here in Indianapolis. And swelled. I mean, it's horrible. We kept praying, kept doubting, and kept doubting and praying and doubting and being confused. And if you have been there, and we've all been there, right, if we're honest, we get confused. We dance, and then we doubt. Because that's the ebb and flow of faith, right? Faith is, is, is tough. <laughs> it's tough. And just to give you another illustration of how this kind of works, um, I'll tell you about it a little bit. I can't really quite do it right now. Um, but essentially what had happened, it seems like God is being like this angry God. But God, in Numbers chapter 6, had actually given a command of how they were to transport the ark. And they did it all wrong. Here they are, they've got, they've got this new cart. Wrong. Let's carry a thing with poles. It's got rings on it. Poles go through the rings, and then not just priests, but these specific men from a specific like niche 
in the tribe of Levi were supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant. They were supposed to transport it. Strike one, strike two. And then when, and Uzzah was just kind of a casualty of the situation. And it was to get David's attention. He is the king. He is in charge. He's got everything figured out. He's got five sets of instruments. He's got 30,000 of his chosen men. He is having a good time. And then all of a sudden, I would imagine things got real quiet. You know, and that's what, what, what happens when things don't go well, is it gets real quiet. It gets real awkward, and no one really knows what to do. And that's, that's what happens. We dance, and then we doubt. We get at those low points. So here's what happens. I love that this passage says that David was afraid of the, pre- of the presence of the Lord. Like he's afraid. He's freaked out. And he's mad. He's mad. You would be too. I would be too. But he wasn't doing things God's way. He was doing things his way. And that later on when we take um, for sure Sarah's confession, her grandpa takes her confession of faith, I believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. We do things his way. We don't do things with a new cart. I don't care how many instruments you have. I don't care how, how much sense it makes to you. Is it what God's asked us to do, or are we making it up? That's tough. I can't even say that. It's hard to say that out loud. But here's the good thing is that God it won't leave us in those low points. He's not like, oh, they're having a really tough time. Uh, Suck it up and move on. That's not how God works. He is always in the restoration business, even in the Old Testament, before Jesus was uh, in the flesh. So let's finish our passage. Riley, uh, read 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 23. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obadiah's household and everything because he has the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obadiah to the city of David with a great celebration. After the men were carrying the ark of the Lord has gone, had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. But as the ark of the Lord entered the city, Mishal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. She saw that King David was leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent that David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the Lord of in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. And then he gave to every Israelite, men and women in the crowd, a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. And when David returned to his home to bless his own family, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to greet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michelle, it was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as a leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. <laughs> See, that's the passage I remember from Sunday school. Uh, him dancing uh, till you know, he's in his underwear or whatever, right? You guys remember that. But I don't remember the part before it. You know, the Sunday school curriculum writers were like, this is too intense for children. <laughs> it is intense. And so... We start off dancing, we start doubting, we, come, we go through a dark time, and then God restores us back to where we were at the beginning, but we're not like we were at the beginning, because we thought that we could kind of figure things out on our own. We thought, we thought with a little bit more uh, you know, studying, or a little bit trying a little bit harder, or resisting temptation a little bit more harder, just you know, trying to, with all of our strength, trying to try harder and do more, and by our own strength, we can do this, we can do this, you know, we keep repeating it to ourselves over and over, I can do it my own way, and then it doesn't work. You can't sustain that. It is only by my strength, says the Lord. 
And so they came back. And some of you really never came back. And you're sitting there in your doubt. You're thinking, I don't understand God. I don't understand what's going on in my life. I don't understand these classes. I don't understand uh, the relationship issues I've been through. My parents, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're struggling with. But here's the thing. God is ready for restoration. But the first thing you have to really realize, am I going to make Jesus my Lord? Or am I just going to kind of pretend that I'm a Christian? Because if we bring ourselves underneath the lordship of his, of his leadership, that's what being a Christian is about. It's not about everything going great. That's not life. Things are going to go great. Things are going to get, get hard. And so, you know, in, in our story, we were praying for the miraculous, you know. We were praying that God would restore my mother-in-law to health. I'm wearing this bracelet right now. It is a disaster. It's been tied together five, six different times. It's my second one since 2015. Um, and we, we decided we were going to believe in faith that God was going to heal her. In that time, we've counted eight or nine different people that have died from cancer in our small church. And she has not died. Did we have more faith? No. No, we were praying for those people too, right? Why did God spare her and not spare the other people? I don't know. I really don't know. But I know that we learned a lot from putting Jesus as the Lord of our lives instead of what we wanted. God, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. Teach me what it means to be one of your children, you know. And so uh, last year, my daughter was throwing a tantrum, and this is what little kids do. We have a five- and a two-year-old. She is sweet, you know, very, very nice. Uh, We love her to death, but... She just threw these tantrums, and so she's, like, freaking out. At the church, all the staff are there, and she's, ah, you know, so we took her to the prayer room, right? (laughs) And she is just screaming. She's screaming, leave me alone. I don't want you, you know. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. She just kept screaming that over and over again. I was like, "Uh uh-uh. Not having it. I went in there. I bear hugged her as hard as I could. She's trying to wiggle. Leave me alone. At the top of her, like, I don't want you. You know, and I'm just like, I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. And just in a calm voice, I don't want you. You know, just over and over and over again. I mean, she is a strong little girl. And for like 15 minutes, and my wife is standing right out the door of the prayer room just Balling, and we're going through this whole thing with her mom, and that's how we felt. I don't want you. Leave me alone. You know, because you're you're so confused. You know, things aren't making sense, and God is like trying to hold you, and you're not you're not taking it. You're just staying in that doubt state. Dance, doubt, dance. Bring the ark back into Jerusalem. Do it the right way. Make Jesus is the Lord of your life, which means you spend time in his word, spend time in prayer. You commit yourself to live the life that he's called you to live, even if it doesn't make sense. And everything's not going to make sense until we enter into eternity. And that's when it makes sense. And um, at no point was I holding my daughter thinking, what an idiot. Why doesn't she understand what's going on? No. I'm just trying to get her to calm down. I'm just trying to let her know that I love her. I don't care if she doesn't want me. I want her. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And uh, Riley's going to read one more passage for us at a psalm. Sorry. I hadn't forgotten about it. Worship team, come on up and get your instruments and stuff. We purposely kind of designed this night to kind of be a refreshing night. This building, 1908, was built in 1908. Think about all the people who have worshipped in here. At one time, Rob told me the church was running over 1,000. Uh, I mean, think about, think about all those people crammed in here, in the balcony, hanging from the ceiling, I would imagine. Maybe they were all small. A lot more pews. Okay. 
As we go through this uh, worship time, uh, we have, uh, you know, I, Hannah picked the songs and did a great job. And uh, I just want you to think about this process that God is taking. I want you to take this card home or to your dorm or whatever. I want you to put it somewhere where you'll see it. Sticky tack it somewhere. Seems like it's the only thing that actually stays on walls. Tape doesn't work. And um, put it up and look at it. Even during this worship set. And try to think about where you're at in your relationship with God. Where are you at in the process? All of us are at one point or another. We have to relearn all the time that Jesus is Lord. And we are not. <laughs> Even if we've been following Jesus for like 50 years, it's still that way, right? And so let's be thinking about that. And so Riley's going to read this from Psalm chapter 30. And uh, then we'll enter into a time of worship. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning.
So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to ch take just a minute. Kennedy, are you ready to read? Kennedy's going to read a passage for us about the, the way the church started in Acts chapter 2. You want to come on up? And I want her to read this for us. And then I'm going to kind of talk through it a little bit. And then we're going to kind of invite uh, anybody that would like to talk to me about uh, getting baptized tonight. What we did is we went ahead and we bought clothes and towels. We bought underwear. <laughs> I mean, we're ready. You can have a free impact shirt as well. Uh, uh, anyway, so we're just we're ready for you to make the decision. We want to remove all barriers. If something was keeping you from making the decision tonight, um, I'd love to pray with you about that. I'll just be hanging out in the back when we're singing these. And how about you just go ahead and read this for us, Kennedy? Hi, so I'm Kennedy. Um, it will be Acts 2, 32 through 41. And it says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and get baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the, sins of your, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive a gift from the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many others' word, he warned them and pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Thank you so much. So all of us go through this process, uh, same process that happened at Acts 2. Uh, the first thing that happens is that you hear the gospel. Some of you didn't hear the gospel when you were a kid. You heard other things, <laughs> right? And uh, some of us grew up hearing the gospel before we even knew what the gospel was, which was in a lot of your cases. Uh, heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, not listening, right? And this, the next stage that a lot of us have to come to grapple, you know, to terms with, will I hear it and reject it or will I hear it and believe it? One of my favorite songwriters for Hillsong is Brooke Frazier, and she uh, has this statement where she says, to believe is to begin. Maybe, that, maybe that's you. Maybe you've heard the message. Maybe just recently you've started to believe it. You, maybe your entire life you've just said, as ah, just information, and then the information started to transform you. I like to call belief a crack in the hardened surface to where God is starting to get in, you know, He's starting to change your life. But God won't stop there. You know what I mean? He wants to bring us all the way into restoration. He's a, you hear, you believe, and the next thing you have to do is you have to come to this word repentance, which literally means return in the scriptures. It means to have a changed mind that leads to a change of action. The people there that day, they heard the message and they were cut to the heart. You believe with your heart, right? That Jesus is Lord. And then they had a decision, Are, am I going to turn from my sin and follow Jesus? And that would be repentance. That's a big thing. You ask your, a seventh grader said this one time to me when I was getting ready to baptize her. She goes, I believe that the Christian life is the best life to live. And that, my friends, is repentance. To say, I want to do this for the rest of my life. This isn't just for today. This is for my life. And if you'll notice all these things, um, it's a progression, right? And then, just as I said earlier, then you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That God raised him from the dead, you know? And you will be saved, it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10. But God doesn't leave us there, does he? Because in the Bible, when someone believed in Jesus, when they were ready to repent, 
and change their mind and change their life, they were immediately baptized. Look it up in the book of Acts. Every time someone believes, baptized. It's like a, it's almost like a, like a great song, crescendo, you know, <laughs> every time. And it's like this really cool uh, thing if you'll read through the book of Acts. And um, we, we believe that baptism is by immersion just because that's what the word means. It's kind of a transliterated word that, you know, some high church people decided to transliterate and turn it into something else. But it just means to dip or immerse, and that's why we do that. And uh, we believe that, that belief, confession, repentance, hearing the gospel precede baptism, which is why when you get older, here's the cool thing. Acts 2.39 is often overlooked. It says, this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. And I mean, some of you have rich church heritage. I mean, going all the way back uh, grandparents, grandparents, grand, you know, going all the way back, right? And maybe it's a church fellowship that did infant baptism where, you know, you don't, of course, you don't remember that. Uh, I don't think you do. Maybe you do. Um, but it's one of those things where, okay, this isn't just for me, like what Sarah is going to get ready to do isn't just for her. It's for Sarah's kids. It's for Sarah's great-grandkids. It's for Sarah's thousand years from now, whatever you call that. <laughs> and then her grandpa and grandma's legacy doesn't stop with Sarah. She extends that to her kids. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. Um, so I had Emily do a second thing, like she doesn't need something else to do. And uh, <laughs> it's so good. I didn't get you a copy. Sorry, I can if you want one. But it's Acts twenty two sixteen. 16. Uh, I've told you the story before about a guy at our church who was raised Quaker. Quakers don't believe in baptism or communion. And uh, we don't have time to talk about that. Anyway, but they were going to a, a Christian church, and uh, it was taught, it's in the Bible, we're going to talk about it. And his son wanted to be baptized. He's like, Dad, I'm going to get baptized. You should too. And his dad's like, no. I'm not getting baptized. I don't need to get baptized. And <laughs> so, so asking him a great question. Dad, what do you have to lose? And his little 10-year-old son just rebuked his dad. Because all of a sudden, I don't know what I got to lose. I think I got everything to gain. Not because of me, but because of Jesus. Now, this is great. Good question for you to ask if you have not been baptized. And now... What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Guess who's giving his testimony in this verse? The Apostle Paul. Ananias said that to him. And I think he's saying it to us too. Why do you delay? Why are you holding back? Even if you've been baptized, you've been a Christian since you can't even remember. Why are you holding back? Let's let go tonight. Let's let Jesus do what he wants. So if you're interested in, in learning more and talking more, I'll be in the back. We're going to sing two more songs, and then uh, we got another baptism, but the, uh, Peyton's going to baptize Zach, and Peyton's in class right now, so we're gonna, some of us are going to chill until he, he gets here, but that will happen later too. So let's go ahead and sing a couple more songs. beyond 
Yeah. 